Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, I am so excited. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Real quick, we got the world's shortest Apple podcast review of the week. So this one is from Booper OMG. Whoever you are, Booper, thanks for your super short review of the week. So this one says titled Fantastic Five Stars, Empowering and Amazing. That's it. It's over. Thanks, Booper OMG. Welcome back, everybody. Appreciate you guys coming back. We have got Jeff Koziatek on with us today. So he is an hey. author, a coach, a keynote speaker, and he's so well-versed in so many topics. Many people I know have told me to have Jeff on the podcast, and he's a guy that I've known for a while, and it's cool when I don't talk about him and other people are bringing him to me and say, do you know, Jeff, I'll introduce you. You got to have him on the podcast. So Jeff, welcome to the journey of a Christian dad podcast. Wow, man. That's one heck of an introduction, Dan. Thanks. I'm I'm excited to be here, and uh, and I love the review. Go Booper. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. So pretty cool. So yeah. tell us about uh, tell us just a bit about your family, maybe even uh, how you grew up, real quick, and just give us an overall sense of who you are. Wow. Well, there I was. I grew, I grew up in uh, St. Louis County, not Christian hated Christians for the hypocrisy that I saw and the judgment and uh, eventually going to a, a Billy Graham crusade and becoming the thing that I hated was a really interesting experience. <laughs> but that happened back in 1999 and uh, God has continued to, to pursue me and bring me closer and continue to work with me as I uh, work through my stuff married 16 years in uh, this August. We got two boys uh, that I love very much. Uh, my oldest, I think he gets very tired of me telling him, you changed my life. <laughs> but it's but it's true. I mean, before, before we got pregnant, I never thought I was uh, old enough, mature enough, wise enough, smart enough to be a dad. And um, then all of a sudden, push came to shove and I was going to be a dad. And uh, he literally helped me become the man that I always wanted to be, but couldn't get to on my own. And that started while he was still in the womb. So I'm forever grateful for that. I think a lot of us guys can relate to that feeling. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. It's been great. It's been great. That's Flip me side. in a nutshell. <laughs> I'm sure you probably had some guys tell you what to expect and everything. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget what George told me. Uh, my friend George Lippert, phenomenal CGI artist, he said, you know, everybody tells me or told me to expect this or expect that. It's like, but what I found to be the best piece of advice is just to tell people it's going to be so horrendous. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's expect the worst. I'm going to tell you. So that way, when you get there, even if it's just a, a couple, couple notches better than that, you'll be good. Be sad. He's like, it's horrible. It's horrible. Like that's there we go. encouraging, George. Thanks. Yeah, I found that all the advice and stuff people gave me. And then as I walked into it, I'm like, I have no idea what I could have done to prepare for this because it just feels different. Yeah. I think that was the best advice that I, I did receive. Uh, some somebody somebody looked at me and he said, You I can't tell you. It, it's like marriage, having kids, owning your own business. Like you can't tell somebody what that's like. They have to go out there and experience it for themselves. Yeah. But then you need the team around you to keep going. That's one of the things I talk about in my book. Your uh, habit 26 is fellowship. The, the people that you have around you to help you uh, stay accountable and keep moving forward. If you don't have that and you enter into fatherhood or you get married <laughs> You, you get take out pretty fast. So you need somebody to help there, help you stand up and, and pick yourself back up when you get knocked down. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And not just that, but we've got our own way of thinking and it's great to have somebody that you trust that'll help guide you into the right way of thinking. I'll amen that. All right. So I did not know that you came to Christianity in 1999. I didn't know that you grew up away from Christ. I did not know that you, in your words, hated Christians. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I grew up. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) This is a Christian dad's podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Clarifying, I didn't know Jeff was Christian prior to coming on, but <laughs> I, I I didn't know this. So I'm interested. I'm intrigued. What what was that like hating Christians? Well, I, I grew up in the divine science faith. Uh, and for me, my faith was a really big part of my life. It wasn't what you would consider Christian. And so when I talked to Christians, they were very judgmental. They're saying, well, you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that. And this is the way things are supposed to go. And they would tell me to do one thing. And then I would watch them live a completely different life. And I thought, why would I ever want that? You, you come across very hypocritical, very judgmental, and definitely not loving. So I don't, I'm not interested in any of that. I joined Amway in, uh, in my late teens and went to a lot of non-denominational Sunday morning church services through various rallies and went through several altar calls as a way to improve my business. I I got a a lot of New Testament Bibles in various shades of red, green, and blue and brown. And then eventually, long story short, finally going to a Billy Graham crusade in St. Louis in 99 and uh, just having it out with God going, okay, I don't want to become a career altar call goer. Like if I'm going down for this thing, like we're going to do something for real this time, not, not, not for show. Uh, and if you don't do it, then, then I'm done. So I gave God an ultimatum, got up, walked down the steps. It was at the TWA dome. So I had a lot of steps to go down. I was trying to figure out what I was missing. Like, why wasn't, why wasn't, uh, why wasn't the altar call experience working for me? And I looked around the stadium and everybody was crying. And I thought, oh, that's it. I just, I just haven't been crying. I'm an actor. I can do that. So I work up some tears. I'm like, now I got it. I checked the last box, uh, but nothing changed. And I made it down to the second level. And then that's when it finally hit me because I had spent my whole life trying to prove to people that this concept of nobody's perfect was just an excuse to make mistakes and not take responsibility for your stuff. And um, I finally made peace with the fact that as hard as I tried to be perfect, I was not. I finally looked at all of my mistakes at the weight of that, that I had been carrying around on my shoulders, trying to ignore. And it was as if Christ said, I see you, I got you, and I can take that. And I cannot express to you the amount of freedom that I felt, but I physically felt lighter in that moment, just letting all of that go and just giving it to Christ and then walking in. And yeah, that was, that was a really big deal for me. So now as a, as a Christian, I try very, very hard not to be like the Christians I saw modeled for me as a kid. Uh, I want to meet people where they are. I want to open doors for conversation and I want to let the Holy Spirit do its thing. I can't save anybody. That's what the Holy Spirit does, you know, but I can love on people and I can open the door and I can walk with people through whatever pain they're experiencing. So that's what I want to do. What did that weight feel like that day? And then what did it feel like coming off you? Well, physically, I legit felt lighter. There was a a sense of relaxation. There was a sense of peace. Uh, Relief, I think, was probably the the biggest word to use there. I was relieved. Because you work so hard to do everything just right and present a certain image. And then when you finally have permission to say, you know what? Yeah, I make mistakes. And it's okay. And those mistakes don't define who I am. And in the middle of all of this, uh, I've got God, the creator of the universe saying, I still love you. 
I have continued to work that particular part out since then. But in that moment, just that concept was very life-giving. Man, what a memory that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was huge. Uh, I think DC Talk was there and Kirk Franklin and everybody's jumping up and down, dancing. I thought, man, these Christians are nuts. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? All the energy. And I thought, I'm only here because I can play What If I Stumble by DC Talk on the guitar. And I was hoping that they would play that song uh, and I would have this moment. They did not play the song. And I was, <laughs> I went in for one thing and came out with something totally different. That's awesome. So have you, have you had that weight feeling come back on you since 1999 where you felt like you're struggling and pressures on you and struggling everything? Can, can you be a little more specific? Cause that's, that's pretty. Uh, I'll, I'll be more specific and I'll give away what was coming next. And that's <laughs> as, as guys, what we tend to do is just throw it on our back, whatever it is, whatever problem there is, just give it to me. I'll take it and I'll solve it. I'll, I'll burden it. I'll carry it with me. At least I'm talking for me. And I think I'm talking for thousands of guys, but have you ever experienced that where you're, where you should have allowed Christ, the Holy spirit, other people involved, and instead you just put it on. Yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes. And I think that really hit in uh, 2020 with the pandemic, because for 20 years, I made my living in the entertainment business. I've done more than 4,000 shows all across the country and internationally. I've performed for a wide variety of audiences. Uh, and I thought I was really diverse, uh, diversified in my income because I'm doing stuff for kids, for adults. I'm speaking, doing keynotes. I'm doing comedy shows, comedy shows to entertain, comedy shows just for fun. I thought it was pretty diverse. And then the pandemic came along and, and erased the entire calendar and there was nothing I could do to change that. It was a problem that I could not solve by just working harder. And in that moment, you know, to step back and, and recognize who's in control and to, to take that breath and to slow down and to listen for his voice and for his guidance was huge. And I, I think I have a tendency to pick up control. I don't think that's a checkbox that can be, it's not a one and done thing. You know, in the Bible talks about dying on the altar every day. Like we have, that's an intentionality piece. That is a consistency piece. It's maintenance that I don't think ever stops. Like, have you role-played that in your head again, as you feel the weight and the burden on you? Have you ever go back to that and use that as a way to help you work through the new? So I go back to Matthew 4 a lot. In Matthew 4, you know, Christ is out in the wilderness and then Satan shows up to tempt him, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And I look at that and I'm like, man, we face those same temptations every day. And if I look at that, just that one line, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. The first attack is on his identity, <laughs> right? I'm going to get you to doubt who you are. Are you really the son of God? And how many times do we deal with that? Are you really loved by God? Does he really love you? Did, did Christ really die for you? You know, are you enough? Are you really able to do these things that God has called you to do that you think God has called you to do? Like this, this self-doubt is huge. And then to watch how Satan does that. First, I'm going to get you to doubt your identity. And then I'm going to get you to think, hey, you know, it says that Christ was hungry. So he's got a need. So the Satan says, you know, turn these rocks into bread. Why don't you just take care of your need on your own by yourself? Nobody else is going to take care of you. You have to be self-reliant and, and do it on your own. And you need to address these needs that you think you have that are super important to take high priority. That never stops. And I look at that. And then I look at what happens next, you know, where he says, oh, well, uh, now I'm going to distort scripture and make it all about you instead of the, the larger story. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to promise to give you all of this stuff ahead of time, which never mind the fact that it's all yours anyway, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just this particular timeline has got to play out. So it's just not yours at the moment, but it is yours in the, in the larger scheme of things. 
and I see similar echoes of those attacks in my life and, and the guys around me and my kids uh, and my wife. And, you know, those, those don't ever stop. So I find myself asking, well, how did Christ stand up in the face of all that? So I flip back to the end of Matthew 3, and that's where God is there. Christ is there. He gets baptized, and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hasn't done anything. It's just, it's just him. He's affirming his identity. He's affirming his love for him. And then he goes out in the wilderness, not alone, but with the Holy Spirit. So he's communing. He's in fellowship so that when the attack happens, he's good to go. And so when I find myself going back to that, that mindset of, I have to make this happen. I have to carry everything on my own. I am the answer. I am the provider for my family. Then I remind myself <laughs> of who I am, uh, of God's love for me, uh, and the fact that I am playing a part in his larger story, and that he sees me, he knows me, and he's got me. And what that looks like and how that plays out, I don't know, but I do know those things. And I can look back at, the, at my past and say, even when I've made a mistake, God was there. Even when I got it right, God was there. And so that, that's how I reset that. Uh, in my book, I talk about it's habit 52, hashtag wash your brain, because I don't think this stuff, uh, it's not a one and done. The, the attacks keep coming I'm human. I make mistakes. There's a tendency to move towards, towards self and move away from the larger picture. So I have to be very intentional about that. What are some things that guys do you think typically have issues with? So when an attack comes, what's a typical guy thing that is kind of a, a trigger for us? I'm not a typical guy, Dan. <laughs> well, that's so true. <laughs> You know, I, for me, it, it's the core of why I coach and it's the core of why I speak. So a uh, slight tangent, performing gave me a golden ticket, a free pass to cross all kinds of social boundaries, which meant I met a wide variety of people, kids, adults, people that believe what I believe, people that don't, people that hate it people that make lots of money and don't, people that were Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever. Being a performer allowed me to get past all the different labels that divide us and we could just be people. Mm -hmm. It it is amazing. But it did not matter where I went or who I was in front of. Everyone had to answer the same two fundamental questions. What is my worth and where does it come from? Mm -hmm. And how we answer those questions affect everything else, everything else. If we're looking, and I find that most men, myself included, tend to look for our worth in what we do. You know, we, we find our, our, our worth or our identity in, in our jobs. We find it in our uh, political beliefs. We find it in our sporting teams. You know, hey, Cardinals fan, woo! <laughs> We find it potentially in the stuff that we have. Look at the size of my house. Look at all of my cars. Look at how well kept my lawn is. Or we find it in our relationships. This is my beautiful wife. This is my, you know, I mean, like all of this stuff where I know these people, let me name drop and bring myself more value and identity. The problem with that is when we tie our worth and our value to something external, it's never enough. It'll never fill it completely. It's like we've got this value meter on a scale of zero to 10 and we're looking to fill it up as a 10, but anything out here external, it's constantly uh, depleting, right? It's constantly uh, eroding, falling away. We have to perform again, perform again, you know, in sports, you're only as good as your, what, last at bat, right? So yeah. Got to get back out there and do it again. Now you got to do it again. Doesn't matter what you did last season. What are you doing this season? It's never enough. And I find personally that forced me to become a a workaholic. I was doing 350 shows a year on top of running a video production company, a photography company, trying to be married, trying to have kids. Uh, I mean, being a parent for my kids, trying to take care of myself, (laughs) which was a kind of a joke. I mean, I, I just, I couldn't do it all, but I was driven to do that because that was a source of my, of my worth. 
So how'd that work out for you? Uh, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. I would do 350 shows a year, but 200 of those would happen in the summer months and just three months time frame. And by the end of those three months, uh, I had nothing left. I was tapped out emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. There was nothing left. And I thought it's only a matter of time before people find out that I'm a fraud and that I'm not really, uh, that I can't do this. And, and the fall would get very dark for me. And it wasn't until I had some downtime during the holidays to kind of replenish and recharge and, um, you know, turn up the soil that by the time spring came around, I was ready to go and do it again. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a cycle that lasted 15 years. And wow. every time I thought, I can do this, I can do this. I was totally lying to myself, but it was because I was so focused on finding more worth and value outside of myself. But check it out, Dan, the worth that we're looking for is not external, it is internal. And as followers of Christ, we know that that worth is internal because we are made in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made on purpose for a purpose. And because of that, because it's internal, then we can take a look at what it is on a scale of zero to 10. What is it? Well, it's a 10. It's full all the time. It can't be lost. It can't be stolen. It can't be increased. And it can't be decreased. You can't, you can't perform to earn more, more worth. You're a 10 all the time. Uh, you can't make a mistake or do something horrible and lose your in, intrinsic value, your, in, your internal worth. It's still a 10, even when you act like a two. And a lot of people go there, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change their intrinsic value. And, and I think that as guys, specifically in American culture, we have been taught to believe that our, our worth, our value is tied up in what we do mm -hmm. and what we can provide. And we get that message over and over again at school. In our, in our perfection, our guarded image. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you couple with that, hey, you don't do emotions. You only do two emotions. You just do happy and angry. And uh, happy is good. And angry is good as long as you funnel it into your work to perform better, you know, harness that anger and really push hard. Like what, <laughs> you know, but, but that's what we're encouraged to do. But angry is bad if it's now causing other problems. <laughs> like, I, I personally think that's nuts. So just go to, just go to the two settings, all the other emotions that God has gifted you with. We're just going to pretend that those don't exist for you or those just exist for women only, which, which is a whole other podcast episode, but yeah, I'm getting off track here. I've had too much coffee. <laughs> so maybe you could, it sounds like you've, you've experienced the happy and the anger. How have you stepped? I know being a performer, maybe that's the answer is you had to learn how to have those emotions, but have you stepped into those emotions in just everyday dad life, everyday husband life? That's, that's the thing, Dan, as a kid, I was very aware of my emotions and the emotions of the people around me. I loved art. I love photography. <laughs> I love, I like long walks on the beach. You know, I I'm aware of those things and growing up all the examples of masculinity that I saw said, you only have these two feelings. You don't ask, you just tell, you just lead people follow you get really big. I was a really small guy. I thought that I was, I was defective, that God had made a mistake with me and that there was something wrong there. Once I started working with my coach back in 2012, and we started to rewrite the narrative and start to look at things from an outside uh, objective point of view to recognize that my worth wasn't external, but it was internal. I was able to start to, to look at these things, not as defects, but as, as gifts. This is just how God made me and that's okay. And so instead of running from them or trying to shut them down, I've tried to funnel that into being an emotionally present father and let my kids know, Hey, it's, it's okay to have emotions, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, emotions aren't right. They're not wrong. They're not good or bad. They're just, they're just there. And as we get older, we can start using our emotions as guideposts 
as uh, dashboard lights to get down to the root issue, uh, a core need that's being met or not being met. And then we can actually use our emotions to make progress. But for right now, it's just trying to give them a safe place to do that. So when my mom passed away unexpectedly back in October, my oldest son, he'd probably kill me if he listened to this podcast, but he, he wrote me a letter um, the next day just saying, I, I, I can't imagine what you're going through. This is so, this, this stinks. And like, he just, he just affirmed my feelings and he saw where I was going and what I was going through because I wasn't trying to hide anything from them. I was just being real. And I, I cannot tell you how proud I was as a dad for my son, who at the time was 11, to have the, the emotional awareness to see somebody going through something and then come alongside and, and just, just say, I love you. And that sucks. And then to talk about it with my other son and um, talk about writing a letter to my mom as a way of saying goodbye you know, because it, because it was so sudden, there was no, there were no goodbyes. And he's like, well, why would you write her a letter? Like, well, you know, to, to get everything out and just as a way of, of working things out for me, he's like, well, where would you send it? <laughs> like, well, you know, we might burn it in one of our fire pits or something, but and I said, if you want, you could, you could do the same thing. And the next morning he comes to me with a letter for his grandma. And I was just mm. like, to be able to let them know that having the emotions are okay and then to give them tools and a way to, to use them uh, effectively is a lot of fun. It's very fulfilling. I had a note from my wife and she said something along the lines of you're the greatest guide for our daughters. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's cool. You know, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So that like what you're talking about with the emotions and giving them the tools. So when you see there's some, something needed that you can bring to the family, to your wife, to your kids, just providing that for them and helping them work through whatever it is that they're trying to work through. So that's pretty awesome that you modeled the example for your son. Your son was confused what was going on and then he got it and then he implemented and did it. And your 14 year old already knew it. It, it gives me hope to, to, yeah, keep, to yeah. keep going. A friend of mine said uh, for his kid, he was, he was building up this stockpile of cash so that once he turned 18, they weren't going to buy him a car. They weren't going to do this or that. They were just going to say, here's money for counseling. <laughs> we encourage you to go to a counselor because we love you and because we make mistakes. And I don't want my mistake to become a permanent scar for you. And so I want you to know that you have my permission as your father to go to a counselor and to talk your stuff out. And, and if I've done something, it's okay to talk about me with the counselor because you know I, I'm doing the best I can and even doing the best I can, I'm going to make mistakes. It is right and healthy to, to work that out. I thought that was, oh, that was brilliant. A way to get, you know, again, give them permission. I heard a little bit different version of that, but as kids get older, it's like, oh, you're nine now. What's nine going to be like? I don't know, dad, probably like eight. Cool. <laughs> now you're nine. I forgot what my daughter said nine was going to do for her. It was, she had something, but hey, you're, you're nine. I've, I've never had a nine-year-old daughter before. Like, this is new for me too. You're new being nine. I'm new being a dad of a nine-year-old. So, yeah. well, you know, let's figure this out together. We're going to make mistakes, but it's okay. And taking that expectation and taking that pressure just off the situation and having fun with it. Can we talk about mistakes for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I try not to make mistakes. I don't want to send my children into counseling and therapy for years, but you know, I, I'm still learning. So, so chances are high that, that they're going to need some help. And the other day, I made a mistake with my son. Uh, a thing happened. I talked to him about it afterwards. And I recognized that I was uh, justifying the situation and trying to explain away what was going on so he wouldn't feel bad, which is not typically the most healthy thing to do. And so, How, after- However, that's what parents like to do is we want to smooth the situation over. Right. Because we don't want them to hurt. Yeah. 
And, and we really don't want to harm, want them to hurt if we're the ones that cause the pain. And so I think it is very instinctive for us to uh, try to dismiss or try to redirect or try to, to hijack and just make it all about us or try to fix the situation. Like all of that makes logical sense. It just does not address the hurt that our loved one is experiencing. And as a father, I have beat myself up multiple times for one mistake. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever done that. You make one mistake and instead of like, oh man, that was a mistake. I should have done this. And then you learn from it, move on. No, no, no. You carry that mistake with you. Like, don't ever do this again. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, I've been involved in a few <laughs> physical injuries that maybe I should have had a better safety parameter and protocol set up where kids, yeah, had bike accidents and fell off a bed onto a nightstand. And it's like all these things that maybe I shouldn't have allowed quite the play or the uh, ambition that was happening. And it didn't go so well. And when we make those mistakes and things don't go so well, it's really easy to carry those with us and not let them go. And I think Satan looks at that and says, Hey, I can work with this. I can really get to Dan. I can get to Jeff. I can get to whoever. Remember that time that you did this? Remember that? Hmm. I think you should go do whatever. Uh, well, this recent mistake that I made with my son, after I came back down the stairs, uh, I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> you wrote about this in your book, this idea of pain once. And, you know, instead of beating yourself up 77 times, you do it one time. And the way you do that is, is by acknowledging what happened, accepting what you did, you know, or well, owning what you did, accepting the consequences, and then moving towards reconciliation. And that, that looks different in, in, every, in every situation, but moving towards that reconciliation piece so that you can then move forward together. And so following that model, I was able to go back upstairs to my kid and, and just acknowledge what happened and, and own my mistake and, and be real with them. Like, look, this is what I did and, and that was wrong. And, and then be ready to accept whatever consequences were going to come out of that, whether he was going to be really upset for the rest of the day or rest of the week, or I don't know, but there's going to be a consequence from that. And then trying to reconcile with him, letting them know that these are, this is not going to happen again in the future because of this, because these are the values that I stand on. Uh, I will not allow this again. And then to, move forward together as father and son. I think as dads, it can be very dangerous to get spun up in our head, constantly replaying the same, same mistake over and over and over again. Or this idea that, you know, we don't want to make mistakes. So then we hide them. And then if we do make a mistake, we're not vulnerable and authentic with our kids, letting them know that we did make the mistake we miss a huge opportunity with them to model how we move through life when we make mistakes. And, and not only that, but, but like, A, it's okay. You're, you're more than your mistake. You're more than what you do. And B, here's how you can work through that. I mean, those are, those are huge life lessons that I think we miss when we don't forgive ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I was thinking of as you were saying that is, how a lot of people do that. So the first thing was acknowledge, oh, geez, something happened. Yeah, I should go apologize. I should go make things right. Maybe I'll even own a little bit of it. And then, then we finish it off with, now, Jeff, I goofed that one up. But here's the thing, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. it's the dismiss, dismiss bit. Yeah. I, I see that so many times. If somebody is hurt, most of the time we'll just try to ignore it. But if we do acknowledge that it happened, we try to skip over owning our part. We skip over accepting the consequences. We skip over the reconciliation piece and we move right to move forward. Yeah, that happened. But, you know, we just got to move forward together. Now's the time to come together. I'm like, but you're skipping the three steps in the middle that are vital for healing and unity. 
And the worst one, not just, but let's move forward together. The, but you know what you did, but <laughs> you really messed this whole thing up bad. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the blame and the guilt and the shame that comes from that. It's, it's difficult. My mentor in coaching told me I will never underestimate the amount of pain somebody else is in. And I found that to be so true. And if somebody is willing to open up to us with whatever they're experiencing, their pain, their suffering, if we respond with apathy, if we respond by just ignoring what they're saying and trying to to distance ourselves or remove ourselves from the situation, if we try to dismiss what they're feeling or justify the situation behind it so they shouldn't be feeling that, or we try to minimize what they're feeling, it's not that bad. Or if we try to uh, redirect the situation and say, you know, I understand that you're in, you're, pain, you're in pain, but look at so-and-so over here, they're really bad off. So you need to stop talking about what you're feeling. We need to look at this. Or if we try to hijack it and just say, you know, I hear you saying that you're in pain, but let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about what I've experienced. Uh, or if we just get in there and we start to micromanage and, and fix it for them, it just makes the pain for that person worse and further isolates them and perpetuates the problem. And when I look to scripture, when I, when I hear Christ saying, you know, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself, none of those options seem to fit with loving your neighbor. The, the only option that fits with loving your neighbor is to respond with empathy, to get down into the pit, to join them in the middle of their suffering and to listen and to, you know, affirm what they're feeling so that they can then start dealing with stuff, inviting the Holy Spirit in uh, or, or not. I'm not sure where they're at spiritually, but to, to start working through their stuff so that they can come out. And I don't think you can do that unless you first see the value and worth in yourself, which is why Christ said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's why we, we got to start there. Yeah. So that pit analogy, I think that one is so strong. What do people typically do when somebody else is in the pit? It's those six steps, right? We either, we just don't care, right? It's yeah. the apathy piece. Uh, I think a lot of guys tend to just fix it especially That's, when it yeah. comes to our, our kids or our spouses. So if, so if they're in the pit, we point at them and say, Hey man, grab, put your hand there. Yes. Do this step there. <laughs> Do you see the ladder? Just use the ladder. You can get out of the pit. It's right next to you. Jump. You got to jump to get the bottom rung, man. But yeah. once you get it, you're good. Yeah. And then from that perspective, we're like, you know, when I was in the pit, I had to climb out. I didn't even have a ladder. You have a ladder. Use the ladder. And so there's this judgment. There's this superior tone. There's this I'm better than you. That really doesn't help the situation. <laughs> and, and I wanted to I wanted to walk through and illustrate that a little bit because that's what people do. That's what guys yeah. do. Yeah. Well, I I think that's what I love about Viktor Frankl's book Man's Search for Meaning. This is a little dark. Can we get dark for just oh, a second? Ab absolutely, we can. I don't think many guys have read this book, and I've read it recently. So I'm really interested to hear what, you, what you've got to say on this one, because this one's a crazy book. It is a crazy book. It's, so it's not what I've got to say. It's, it's, what, it's what Victor said. Psychologist back in World War II, uh, he's a, a Jew in Germany. He gets locked in the, the concentration camps, right? So that's the scene. And while he's in the concentration camps, uh, he's given a job, and his job is to clear out all the bodies from the gas chambers, which is horrific in and of itself, okay? So that's what he's doing. But because of his training, because of his, his uh, occupation, it becomes uh, a bit of an... He's just paying attention, right? He's observing what's going on, and he's watching the, the, the Germans. He's watching what's happening, and he says that the Germans realized because they're trying to keep costs down, that it did not matter how much gas they put in a chamber 
it, they could put a little or a lot. It did not matter. Whatever they put in there would fill the chamber completely and, and do its job. And so they would try to, try to ration the, the gas. And so Viktor Frankl is looking at this and he says that the gas in the gas chamber is just like pain in a person. And it doesn't matter how much pain the person is experiencing, that pain is going to fill that person completely. And so you might be experiencing some pain that is significantly larger than what I'm experiencing, but both experiences fill each of us completely. And so instead of trying to judge, well, my pain is bigger than your pain, or, oh my gosh, you've had to go through all of that. You're so much more amazing than I am. If we set down the judgment stick and just recognize, no, you're hurting. Let's just deal with the hurt and move forward. I think that changes everything. That allows us to get into the pit. That allows us to stop trying to say, hey, fix it. Everybody, you know, I had to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, so you should too. Like, well, pain might affect me a little differently. My situation might be a little different. I might not have the same tools and resources that you had. Chances are very high. <laughs> I'm not going to come at it from the same perspective. And so to step back, you know, to see the value in us, I'm a 10. And because I'm a 10, I can see that you're a 10. We're all created in the image of God, whether we know him or not. I see you in pain. I'm going to love you as I love myself. I see you as a 10. Uh, worthy of, of kindness and dignity and respect. Uh, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to sit with you. I think if you, if you scrap the, the value and worth piece, then we pick up the judgment stick and it becomes very difficult to walk alongside people with what they're struggling. Have you got any tips to kind of avoid the judgment, the blaming, the telling and step into more of a appreciation, curiosity, understanding, empathy type mode? Uh, yeah, well, this is why I coach. I help everybody create what I call a compass. And that's understanding what your values are, you know, what your worth is, which is where we started, what your values are, what your identity is, and what your purpose is. Understanding your non-negotiable values uh, in life and business and relationships, understanding who you are as a human being beyond what you've experienced, beyond your job. Uh, and then understanding your personal vision and mission. Why are you here and, and how are you going to do that? The, the what, we don't clarify. The what would be your job. That can, that can change and, and develop. But getting really clear about the why and the how allows me and allows my clients uh, to come back to that and stop the judgment train, recognize that, no, God has created them to be this, and then to execute uh, decisions that are in alignment with that that is a great way to, to circumvent <laughs> that thought process. So finding a coach to help you with Compass, reaching out to me, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, one of the other things is to remember, you know, hey, you, you've been created in God's image. You are not a savior. We have one of those already. Like Christ is here to, to handle all of the fixing. You don't have to do that. Like you can just back off and play your part in God's story, love people where they are, uh, ask questions, point them to Christ. Like those are, those, those are significant. Uh, let me say it this way. When we are tired, it is a lot easier to default to fixing. Because if we're not getting enough sleep, uh, our patience is down. We just want the, the suffering to stop, <laughs> whether it's somebody else or our own suffering. And so we'll go to path of least resistance. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to enter into the pit with somebody. So to make sure that we are well-rested uh, is important. So we're just like little kids when we're tired, when we're hungry. Angry, lonely. Angry. Yes. Bored, yeah. stressed. Was that the halt BS? I think they call that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hungry, sure is. Angry, lonely, tired, bored, and stressed. Yeah. I think it's important because those things never go away. And that's one of the things I work with my clients on. I'm like, you know, we identify this behavior system that we've developed to survive uh, that may not be in alignment with who we are. And it's all about recognizing that this path is out there so that when we do get on that path, we can recognize it faster and get off of it quicker. 
It's always going to be there. The, the temptation for that is always going to be there. So it's not about shame and guilt for when we do that. It's just, wait, hang on. This is not a direction that I want to go. I'm going to go over here, offer myself some forgiveness uh, and grace, recognize who I am, wherever I need to, you know, acknowledge, own, accept, reconcile and move forward. And then we'll get back on track doing God's work. A lot of times people can one up things or give advice or anything. So you mentioned something earlier to me and then I said, let's not talk about that. Let's catch up on that later and ask your permission. If we could talk about this during the podcast, you mentioned that you're in your family, you guys had a miscarriage in the past. Yeah. Two, two miscarriages. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man, we had, we were surrounded by all these friends that were having miscarriages. And so my wife and I thought, well, uh, we're ready to start our family. We should probably start now just in, just in case we didn't know. I was all excited. I'm like, this is great. We're going to practice the heck out of this <laughs> right? stuff. There was our first son, like right out of the gate. And I thought, dang it. <laughs> like, that's not really okay. All right, great. Yay. Like I was very excited and not excited at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. What, yeah, right. I, I was saying quite, quite, a, quite a few new parents or second or third or fourth time can can relate to excited right. and not excited. Yeah, right. So we had him and then and then we tried for a second and got pregnant right away. Uh, super excited about that. Uh, not excited about the loss of practice time, but you know, whatever. And so then when we wanted to have our wanted to have a third kid, we just assumed that it was going to be super easy and like one shot and we're good. It was not. And it took, uh, it took about a year, year and a half. Uh, and then we finally got pregnant and we were really excited. And then, uh, and then we had our first miscarriage and that was weird because I realized just how much of a jerk I had been in my mind with everybody else. So I thought you, you never met the child. You did like, why are you all upset? I don't get it. I just, I didn't understand. I hadn't walked the walk. And now I was like, wow, you know, the, this child, I'm, I'm looking at my, my other two kids and going, man, I'm seeing potential. I'm, I'm envisioning a future. And I had played all of this out for weeks and then, and then it was gone. And then the craziest thing happened. We got pregnant again right away and then had a second miscarriage. So it was in within like two to three months. And this was in the spring. So we're dealing with the emotional loss of the kids. My Brandy and my wife is getting, getting support from other people, but I'm not getting any support. They're like, well, you're the dad. You don't understand. It wasn't your body. It was, it was your wife's body. And I'm like, well, yeah, she's going through a lot and she needs a lot of help. She needs a lot of support. Her pain is, is full and it needs attention, right? It needs empathy. And <laughs> I am very emotionally aware of what's going on and I'm not doing really well with this. I'm struggling. Well, that was in the spring, Dan, right before my summer performing season, mm. right before I went into doing 200 shows in three months for pregnant moms <laughs> nursing moms, new, like little kids. Like I, I just saw all over the place, literally hundreds of thousands of examples of what I just lost. And I still had to show up hundred percent because my clients expected uh, everybody to smile and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what the audience expected. And they had every right to do that. I just wasn't hundred percent. And yeah, I still had the job to do. And I was seriously uh, struggling and I was struggling alone because guys don't talk about it. Or if they do talk about it, it's very easy to uh, dismiss. Oh yeah. Well, we had, we had five miscarriages. That just happens. I'm like, okay, well, I understand that's how it hit you. It's hitting me a little, <laughs> a little different. And so for me, I had to pray a lot so that God would make up the gap between the 20% that I could offer and the hundred percent that my audience expected. And so that was, that was a, a, a big growing season for me to lean on that. Cause a lot of people, not only would they say that I shouldn't be all upset because miscarriages are so common. People just don't talk about them. They would do these things that I outlined in the pit essay, right? They would mm -hmm. just ignore what I was saying, or they would, 
uh, you know, just casually dismiss it. Or they'd be like, oh yeah, well, let me tell you all about my miscarriage. I'm like, no, wait, I, I just, I just need you to walk with me just for a second. That, that, that's it. It doesn't have to be about you. It doesn't have to be about somebody else. No, I don't need you to tell me how to fix it. <laughs> what foods we need to eat, what kind of exercise routine we need to get on, what kind of schedule, like just hear what I'm saying and, and just, just listen. And then, and then we, then we can move forward. Uh, that was a rough season. That is a rough season for guys that have experienced it, or if your friends have experienced it, but if you've heard about it and actually got into the pit with them or somebody got into the pit with you, that's a rough one. Cause you feel so isolated and the whole rest of the world is going about their business. And yeah. generally speaking, nobody has any idea what you're currently going through. No, 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 they don't. And that's why I wrote the pit essay because anytime somebody is struggling with pain, there seems to be a tendency to shut it down. Right? Like if I, if we were sitting across the table from each other and you started to cry, there could be a tendency for me to give you a tissue <laughs> subconsciously giving you Kleenex is like saying, stop crying. You know, if you ask me for a Kleenex, I could give you one, you know, but, but to hold that space to allow people to cry uh, and get it all out, to hold the space to allow people just to experience the emotion and then move, move forward versus uh, trying to avoid the emotion, it's, uh, it, it is not easy, but it's incredibly healthy and we need to do that to grow and to mature not only for ourselves, but so we can support the people in our lives. You didn't cry today, Jeff. We've had a number of our guests come on and cry. And I felt that what you're talking about with the Kleenex, like on this side, I'm like wanted to give them space and don't know if I should interject something, help them out. And I yeah. try to just let them just work through whatever it is they're working through the emotion that they're feeling at the time. And I often wonder on the audience side, what it might sound like once they hear it too. But I just think it's so cool when guys do, you know, express their feelings and uh, most of them haven't apologized for crying. One of them did. I was like, dude, like, it's great. You know, it's great that you're able to, to get this off and hopefully feel better after having released that and, you know, shared it in this case with the world. Yeah. But yeah, it went that Kleenex. That was a perfect, that, that that's exactly how I felt. Like, do I save them? Do I let them go? You know, where, where should we be? Well, I've, I've listened, I've listened to several of your episodes and, and when the guys cry, I, I love that you give them the space to do that and that you provide an example for people listening. Like this is okay. It's okay. I think this is part of bringing the pendulum back to center to allow us to uh, express more of who God is uh, through who he created us to be. So that's, that's huge. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you listening. So that's, that's really yeah. cool too. Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things uh, that I've picked up over time, I think I recently mentioned this on a podcast, but it's been just a great tool is three simple things. Sounds like, feels like, looks like. So if you want to get more into whatever somebody else is talking about rather than throwing a comment out there, dismissing it or going into advice mode, just being curious. And, Oh, it sounds like you really like, you know, one of the episodes or a few of the episodes you, or it, I saw in your face, it looked like you're really excited when you're talking about uh, the pit. I bet you got a, a lot of great feelings and emotions as you're journeying into yeah. to write in that piece, like, but you can use sounds like, looks like, feels like, and match it up to, to what you see and allow the other person to get more into what they're talking about, go to a deeper level with it. That's fantastic. That's, that, that's some phenomenally practical advice. Damn, that's great. You be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank well, you. What, what I like about that is that it, it, when we're talking to other people, there can be a tendency to reduce somebody from a human being to an object that we need to manipulate to get what we want. 
or a, an obstacle that we need to get around. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when we do that, we check out, we definitely don't enter into the pit. Uh, we definitely keep our conversations surfacy. We definitely do not share emotions and, and the conversation is, is very light. But if you're going to say, sounds like, feels like, what, what was looks like, it looks like, you know, to do that, we have to repeat a little bit of what they said. And we have to repeat it in such a way that lets them know, hey, you know, you said this, this is what I heard you saying, you know, is this correct? And you're, and you're asking for affirmation there. It, it's that, that reflection piece uh, that, that can help somebody feel valued and feel seen and feel heard. The dividends that that pays out are, are significant. Like you can't ignore that. Uh, even in the context of business, if you've got an employee coming to you, you might not be able to solve their problem, but if you can listen and respond like with what you just said, what well, sounds like, feels like, looks like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like, feels like it looks like this, you know, for them to feel heard can, can almost take the problem off the table, you know, and just allow them the, the space to work through that on their own and find the problem, knowing that you've got their back because you've listened. I think that's huge. Well, thank you. So your turn. Any, uh, any parting advice, any, any words of wisdom that you want to share with the guys? I don't believe you will ever see value in someone else beyond what you see in yourself. That's great. You have to, have to, have to, have to see yourself as a 10 so you can see everybody else as a 10 as image bearers of God, whether they're acting like it or not, so that you can show up to love them as you love yourself. If we see ourselves as an eight, we're going to love other people as an eight. There's a gap. We see ourselves as a two. Our love is going to be, look really interesting, right? And not only that, but when we have that gap, we go into competition mode and judgment mode. And we're, we're carrying a judgment stick around and, and holding it up to everybody. So, you know, seeing value in ourselves so we can see value in other people is, is the cornerstone. And that value is there because we are created in God's image, because we are made fearfully and wonderfully on purpose for a purpose, worthy of being redeemed and restored back to factory settings. Yes. <laughs> to go back. Right. And, and that doesn't stop ever. And the, the sanctification process is different for everybody. I know we love to put timeframes on that. Like, Hey, you should be done dealing with your alcoholism. It's been two years. Time's up. Like, well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Only God knows the sanctification process timeline. So who am I to judge that? All I'm called to do is to, to love you where you're at and support you as I love myself. And so- uh- I love that. The worth piece I'm working on kind of putting together a journey and a, you know, path and stepping stones. And that worth is right at the very beginning. If we don't see worth in ourselves, it gets tough to do anything else. (laughs) So let me, let me throw one more thing at you. I always like to close out with a challenge and I always like to ask our guests if they could throw out a weekly challenge for the guys. Oh, Guys love challenges. Guys love something to, to do. So what's okay. something? All right. I, I, I got a challenge. All right, uh, go. So this is, this is a compliment exercise that I'll do in a lot of my keynotes. It's really easy to compliment somebody based on what they're wearing or what they've done. You know, Hey, you had a great quarter this, this past quarter. My challenge for our audience today is that for the next week, at least the, the low barrier to entry for this challenge is once a day compliment somebody, but not, but it cannot be on appearance, on performance, or on circumstance. And by that, I mean, you can't compliment based on, you know, what they look like or what they're wearing. Uh, you cannot compliment based on something that they've done. Wow, congratulations on that 5K. That was a fantastic run. You cannot compliment based on a circumstance that they've overcome. Man, you know, you you were... The, the cards were stacked against you and you kept going. That was, that was fantastic. Can't do any of that. The challenge is to compliment the human being underneath all of that. So an example would be like, 
Dan, I, I really appreciate your consistency. You know, you, you pump these podcasts out, you have quality conversations and you keep them coming. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Or, um, you know, Hey, your, your integrity, man, it, it doesn't matter whether somebody's around or not. You're always doing the right thing. The value of complimenting the person behind the performance, behind the appearance, behind the circumstance is significant because even though our worth never changes, it's on a, on a scale of zero to 10, we're a 10 all the time. Our perception of that worth can change on a moment to moment basis. And when it's down, we will do whatever we can to get it back up to a 10. And oftentimes we will forget that it is internal and we'll start thinking it's out here. And so if we start getting compliments based on our work performance, guess what we're going to do? We're going to throw ourselves into work and do more work because it feels good and makes us feel like we have identity and worth. Or if you compliment me on my shoes, I might end up with 500 pairs. Right. So are you saying, so this sounds like uh, Carol Dweck in the book Mindset. I do love that book. What made you think of the book? So what I'm, what I'm hearing is not complimenting or appreciating the result, but appreciating the behavior. And not even, well, yeah. I mean, you could you'd compliment the behavior, but the point is to get back to complimenting the human being. Like if we can affirm and encourage that, encourage the, the image bearer that is standing in front of you, those compliments speak to the heart in a way that complimenting you on your red shirt today will not. Correct. Correct. So like my daughter, she, uh, one of them is just tenacious. She's going to compete no matter what, and she's always going to win. But rather than talk about, Hey, great job on the victory. I'll talk about what I saw, you know, you work really hard today and everything, but how I saw you able to do that was I've seen you practice that move 500 times when nobody's looking, you're always working to get better at so many things. And I saw the move that you've been working on for such a long time. And because you did the work here, I saw the result there, but I'm proud of the work that you did over there. Right. Right. Yes. That, that exactly. And what I love about that is that it's specific. When I've done this exercise with, uh, with groups, uh, I'll never forget this one woman said, Oh, well, I really like Mark's leadership. He's a great leader. Like, okay, well, let's, let's see if we can make that more tangible and workable for Mark. What makes him a good leader? And then that's when she said, well, he listens, uh, he's consistent, he sets clear expectations. So it's really easy to follow and, and hit our metrics. And, and we, feel, we feel seen and heard. Like, great, that's something that Mark can build on. And so for this week on the low end, if you can throw out at least one compliment like that a day, that would be awesome. But if you wanna go, uh, go, to, go to the extreme, if you can do 10, 10 a day and, and hit 10 different people, that would be really cool because that is affirming value in other people. That's loving them. Uh, and the only way you can do that is with relationships. So it, it takes it from a very surfacey thing to something much deeper. And uh, yeah, it, it'll be good. You'll like it. <laughs> You'll like it a lot. That's a, a tracker that I use for my wife. You so track every, your wife? No, I track whether I appreciated my wife in a specific way every day. Ah, so okay, some, okay, something new good. and different. I was yeah, like, wait yeah. a second, where are we going? Yeah, with this? yeah. So I love I love the challenge. And that one is a huge one. Once you start using what Jeff just talked about, and if you do it for a week, you'll start to build that into your mindset. You'll start to use it all the time and start looking for opportunities. And uh, the world is just brighter and brings more joy into your life if you're looking to use use the challenge that Jeff just did. So if you haven't done this in the past, uh, you're in for an amazing, amazing awakening. And if you've done it in the past and you know stepped off the train a little bit, uh, jump back on. Yeah, bring it back. Compliment the person, not the performance, the appearance, or the circumstance. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. We're going to put all your links and stuff in the show notes. We'll link your book. Any other ways that you want to share with the guys to get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, the website, coreauthenticity.com. Uh, I've got my podcast up there, my books. I would love to talk to you, love to serve you as a coach. That is what I do. And, and last but not least, 
if you know an organization that has a philanthropic mindset, they love to give back. They've been writing checks. They've been sending out computers. They've been doing all this stuff. They're looking for another way to give back and pour into their communities. I've got the one-for-one -one give back program. So when people hire me as a keynote or they purchase a coaching package, they can gift a free performance to kids in their area, elementary through college age. Wow. Um, to not only model lifelong learning, but then to reinforce into the next generation in the community that they're already in. Hey, we see you, we value you, we appreciate you, we believe in you. So that's why we're sending this program uh, to engage with you. And so the one for one is also on my website. Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. It's great you spending time with us and sharing with our audience. Appreciate you opening up like you did. Thank you, man. This is a lot of fun. Go Cardinals. Go Cards. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others, join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others, have your buddies join, have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.